Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Forging Brains Podcast. We are actually in Tangent, Oregon. We're here for the Sarah Baker uh, Benefit Clinic, and I'm also joined with Mike Poe, Kurt Fisk, and Jason Smith. And uh, figured we'd do a podcast while we have all these guys here in our in our presence. We uh, we've heard from Mike before on the podcast, but we ha- and Kurt actually, but we haven't necessarily heard from Jason before, <laughs> and uh, might be kind of good to hear how Jason got you know oh, initially yeah. started in yeah. shoeing horses. Uh, yeah, well, thank you for uh, having me on and uh, yeah, doing this podcast. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, it it. Uh, you know, started after high school. Um, I was I, I went to Oklahoma State Horseshoeing School, Reggie Kester School in 1989. Um, came back home to Northern California and uh, just kind of hung my shingle out. And uh, thankfully, I got uh, involved with the WSFA, who had a a real active association at the time and fell in with a lot of good people steered me in the right direction um, and just was able to take advantage of uh, of all the events they had going on who were some of those people that helped steer you in that right direction at that time I would say geez Alice Johnson Margie Lee um, yeah uh, Emil Carey, um, yeah, those are probably the, the main influences, uh, but they were doing a lot of clinics, and so I was exposed to Bob early on, Bob Marshall, and okay. Graham Moon, nice. and uh, I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones, but yeah. uh, Jim Poor. Um, was Edward around? Edward Martin. Was around then? Yeah, I mean... Um, In that area, or... Cause he was Alice only- Alice actually brought him in okay um, at we did we had a draft shoeing clinic um, with Edward at draft shoeing and blacksmithing clinic um, so that that was phenomenal as you can imagine yeah. just having Edward there and just getting you know one-on-one oh, instruction man. yeah no right. doubt that amount Which of insight was, yeah is- very fortunate you know I just I just feel very fortunate just to have been you know where I was at the time um, and just had had so many opportunities to work with some great people in our industry early on and uh, that always pushed me to you know want to get better and do more and uh, you know be involved Um, and obviously being a member of the AFA and and um so was it a pretty pretty easy path into the get into the afa after being with western states and yeah i think getting getting going on that for sure because people in the wsfa were also active in the afa so it was just an easy kind of path to go down yeah um yeah it's just like i said i'm just i feel very fortunate to be at that place at that time just surrounded by all these great folks and yeah right on um yeah so and from there it's just uh you know being on the american fairs team and with all the great people involved with that and places you know i've been able to travel to and um and now you know what's going on with the wcb i mean our our standards in the industry just keep continuing to yeah keep growing and growing growing and growing which is just awesome so can you talk about like what competing was like for you when you started out like what that road looked like what it was like getting onto the team and how many years were you on the team um how, how long were you on it was i i think 94 96 and we had there were years that there was split teams and mm-hmm. gold um, and silver gold and silver team yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, and then through 2000 was my last year on the team. Yeah. Um, So you were only at about shooting for five years until you made it to the AFT? 
Yeah, I was. You said ninety four. Yeah, got I done in alternate, alternate. Yeah, and that was. <laughs> that was. Uh, There's got to be a dog in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was Craig was on that team and Jim Poor and uh, I think Bob Pethick. And, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Get done shoot. You get out of horseman school in '89, and then five years later, you're making it to the. You know, I, I, like I said, was was surrounded by the right people, and uh, it, you know, competing was a big part of what I wanted to do. Mainly just to get better. Yeah. I mean, uh, so can you talk about that '94 team? Because if that was the lineup, that means that you stepped in and took Shane's place, right? I didn't that that I I did not I forget who who stepped in on that year. It's because um, ninety three was those three guys you just mentioned, right? Plus Shane. Yes, and yeah. so I was still an alternate. I didn't compete on, as a team member. I traveled with with the team. Yeah. But, um, God, I wish I could remember who. I'm sure I'll get killed for <laughs> not remembering. Yeah, you'd be good. Yeah, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I it it was uh like I said, just it it was, you know, kind of a dream come true to be, you know, on the team. It so was, you pretty much had your sights set on when you were in horseshoe school, you knew you wanted to compete and I don't know if I did at the time, but I mean it it definitely built through there. I mean I think I I knew I liked making shoes and I think anybody early on in their career, they're very enthusiastic and, you know, yeah. you don't really know what direction you're going to go. But I'd already kind of shot horses before I went to shoeing school. So, you know, and being exposed to uh, the competition, shoemaking aspect of things, that definitely was something that, that uh, you know, was a direction I kind of wanted to go. Then, like, the first year working with these guys, like, was it hard? How many times had, like, Craig and them been on the team until you got on the team? I think like, he'd been on there a couple times. Yeah. But, you know, uh, and he'd competed a lot. And uh, um, was it nerve-wracking being the um, the rookie coming oh, on absolutely. the team with guys yeah. like that? <laughs> you know, it was perfect because I could kind of kind of be the backup quarterback. I could kind of sit on the sidelines and just soak it all in yeah. with, you know, not really having the, I guess, pressure. Right. You know, right, right, I, mean, yeah. I, could, I could learn. Yeah. So you could perform was, if you needed to, but. Yeah. Were, I mean, I, I right. like to think so, but, you know, I was just in awe of being around these right. guys yeah. and just was, uh, yeah, just soaking it all in. Yeah. yeah that's got to be, be like the primo learning experience. Yeah. Because you do I, just get to be that, yeah. the fly on the wall for all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I. Obviously, there was a lot I didn't know, so I, I I didn't really want to be, you know, competing necessarily at the international right then. But mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to be there. Right on. So, cool. Yeah. Um, I was the first trip to Stonely. It was yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, just yeah. A, it's uh, how eye opening. It's a little overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, I think first time over there, but um, just to see the level of work. You know, um, at the time, um, did you guys go over and uh, were you practicing in somebody's shop prior, or did, was it a pretty much straight trip to? No, we. Yeah, um, I think that year we were at the British Army barracks. Okay, and, right uh, um, If I remember correctly, in Melton. I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, and then I think we got over there a few days ahead of time. Yeah, kind of had a practice, had a couple leg, yeah. days. Yeah, our legs yeah. under us. And, right on. And uh, uh, yeah, went from there. Shook off the plane trip and. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's al- it's always an adventure. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> well, Mike, you've been on WCB team a number of times. Like, what was it like the first time you ever made it on a team with uh, those guys and? Who were the other three members or five, four members that were on the team that first year when you got on? So I got on in 2020. 2020? And, or, yeah, it was 2020 because, you know, it was the 2019 season. So we were the 2020 team. So we were the COVID team, right? Oh, yeah. We were the all-dressed-up-and-nowhere-to-go team. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Carl Vile won national champion that year. Yep. And I think Dylan was reserve, like wow. Dylan Crane. Mm-hmm. So it was Carl and Dylan and Andrew Nielsen and me. Like I got in the fourth hole. And uh, when we got on, the World Horseshoe Classic at Richmond was still happening. Mm-hmm. And it was like we just like knuckled down that that's what we were getting ready for because we didn't know what else we were going to do. I think we were going to do the ECA in Australia. Oh, yeah. And then right. what happened was COVID and yeah. everything got shut down. And like as news would come in that something was getting shut down, we would just be like, oh, damn it. Well, we'll work on this now. Yeah. Like yeah. we just kept on being so like that goal. tiny little yeah. disappointment and like get excited about whatever we were doing next. Yeah. So we worked towards that and then things started moving forward to what we've got now, which is kind of WCB team events. So we got to do those and that got us ready. But we really just did those up until last year. Kind of why Craig started to introduce like more of those like four man team. Yeah, because we didn't have anywhere to play. Like, and nobody did. It wasn't just us. It was the AFT didn't have anywhere to go and play. Mm -hmm. You know, any of the the pickup teams where guys like the team you're on that guys just want to get together and have a go. Yeah. And there was nothing for him to do. There was no classic for him to do. There was no going out of the country at all to do something. No individual contest. So there was an opportunity for it, and the decision had already been made to go from the five contest individual contest format to three. Yeah, I'd always kind of wondered why that had went from five to three. Well, part of it was because of the Masters at Spruce Meadows, like doing because that was supposed to happen originally in 2020. That's right, right. and it got shut down because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But because that is such a big undertaking, it was like, well, let's back off from having the five contest format. It's time to move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the way I understood it. And I'm, I'm talking for Craig and Christine and I can't, you know, can't Don't really do that. Don't know all the fine details, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, but it, it kind of made sense. And then it turned into like a three and three. You know, we had three team contests and three individual contests. That makes sense. And now we've backed off again. There's just two individual or two team contests and three individual contests. Sometimes I feel like I'm reading baseball cards when I talk about like contests and stuff. You know, <laughs> it's like we turn into a sports podcast, right? But um, anyway, though, no, we we need that really. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. I guess get but, people involved, like kind of get hyped up about it. But yeah, so that team that I was on initially, we repeated in 21. So the te- same team stayed together. Because there was no competitions to decide that, so that you guys no, just got lumped No, there out. was another. I mean, we the WCB never stopped. Oh. There was a 2020 season. There was a 21 season. We never quit. We yeah. went and went and went. Yeah, things moved around a little bit. Yeah, we. But, yeah, the contest but moved where we were doing it. Like, yeah. instead of doing the horse fair, like, we're, we're back at the horse fair in Madison right. this year. Oh, sweet. But Ten-Pen. instead of doing that, we went to Ten Pen Alley, you know, yeah. we're in the bowling alley. Oh, yeah. And, like, yeah, yeah. we just kept on rocking because we right, didn't want to stop. That year, New Mexico happened. That was mm-hmm. the first contest of the year. And then it was... Then jumped. we went to Madison. Yeah. And then yeah. on to Fort Worth. Right. And all of it was places that were friendly. Right. Right? Because we... I mean, you got to say we were kind of bucking the system because we just weren't going to quit. Right. And we're an outdoor event. You know? It's not like we were all cramming ourselves into a gym, sweating and, and right. you know, breathing each other's air and yeah. licking doorknobs. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, a little bit of doorknob yeah. licking, but don't judge me. <laughs> um, yeah, it's got to be like a low blow. You know, you've worked so hard for many years to make the team. Yeah. And then COVID happens and you just... And the world comes to a standstill. Yeah, you don't get to it's go crazy. perform. And Man, do it. it was great though. So me and Andrew Nielsen lived really, we live really close together. Like we're not far apart. Mm-hmm. And both of us fly out of uh, BWI in Baltimore. Okay. Or we did. We would show up at the airport and nobody was there. We'd have the best parking. You'd just like just walk through up. security and be like, hey, Janet. You know, <laughs> like, because we were flying all the time. And then get on a flight and it'd be like, we didn't even have a road to ourselves. We had a section to ourselves. Oh, damn. Like, wow. if the exit rows was just me and Nielsen. So were you guys, like, getting together and practicing more often? 
so all of us got together and practiced a lot. Mm-hmm. Like we we kind of we dug in like ticks and decided we were going to do something. Yeah, and went really hard. And then in for the twenty two season or the twenty two team, so we qualified in twenty one. Andrew decided to take a step back. Decided to be like he needed to to work on his business, work on some other things. So he stepped off the team, and Stan Mullen stepped in, mm. and. Like, I think people were taking bets on whether me and Stan were going to get along. Oh. Because we're both, like, big, strong personalities. And the first practice, we were like, hey, are we best friends now? <laughs> and it kind of worked out. Like, we were going and doing karate in the garage, you oh, know? Oh, damn. Building bunk times. beds. And- yeah, we built, built bunk beds in the middle of the night <laughs> with no power tools. Um, <laughs> but that was the team that... Really early on, like we got together and immediately we found out about Scotland happening, the heavy horse championships, mm-hmm. and we just pushed into that, like leaned all the way into it. So how long, when did the uh, Scotland contest happen from being told COVID is now a thing and there's no more traveling, no more contests to go to? How long did you know? So we found out at the beginning of 2022. Okay. Like early in 22, we found out that um, Jim Balfour was like spearheading it. Hosting. Yeah. The the World Clydesdale show was happening in Scotland. And since they had the Scottish horses in Scotland, Jim decided to do that, that contest, the heavy horse contest. Okay. And it was like, as soon as we heard about it, we're like, yes, we're there. Sign us up. We got something to work towards. Yeah. And we got real serious about it. We did Pennsylvania was our first show together. was our first contest together. And kind of as soon as we got off Pennsylvania, we were on to building draft shoes. You know? How many days was that contest there, the Scotland one? It was three days. So it was three-quarter fullered with masslets on day one. No heel, no like... No heels, flat shoes. Okay. Um... Day two was specimen shoeing or specimen shoemaking. Oh, so not on feet. Yeah, not on feet. So, mm-hmm. and it it was cool. I don't know whether so Beanie and Craig were the judges. Okay. And whether they planned it or not, they had a set of shoes. So they had left, right, front, and hind. Oh. And it worked out that our team, we all just had our foot. Yeah. I haven't made anything but a right front for. Three, yeah, you told me like that for earlier. For three years, all I made was right fronts. Uh-huh. Well, and that specimen shoe was a... You should talk about that a little bit. The oh, shoe you had to make for Oh, that, that heart bar? Yeah. So it was funny. So Craig made the heart bar, and it's 24 inches of half inch and a quarter with like this crazy like arc set toe. And big bar shoe. It was, oh, it was a lot of... It weighed six pounds. <clears throat> Holy smoke. So the, the mother section weighed six pounds. Um... But, and we had it sorted to where, like, Carl did a lot of the work with the sledge. Mm. Like, a lot of it, I figured out how to not have to, me, just do all the work and make a, a bar shoe. But it was funny, because I guess when Bodie saw what Craig had made, he was like, man, you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big shoe. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Oh, well, man. so the cool thing, and, like, I got to shout this, is I made so many of those, and, like, I didn't want, and it wasn't for me, I made them because... Cause I didn't want to let my team down. Yeah. Like, you know, you like with a team, you, you sometimes fight with each other and you don't get along, but like you, you have to love each other. Or you're not going to succeed. Yeah. You know? And I still like those, the four guys that I did that team with over time, I still like, I love talking to them and I love hearing about what's going on and I want to support them, you know? Cause I want them to do well. It's almost like you've, Growing more is like a friendship, you yeah. know, relationship with these well, guys versus just being on a team. You end up having a like a familiar relationship, mm-hmm. you know, because like a friendship, me and you can have it falling out and like we won't talk for a while and be pissed off. Yeah. With your family, you kind of can't get away with that, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> you degree, can be yeah. pissed off and you hate each other a little bit, but my God, you, you still got to have Thanksgiving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're not going to ruin Christmas just because we're a little bit mad over, you know, who spilled the gravy. <laughs> And that's kind of what it was like. And like, 
I'm proud of them. I'm proud of us. I'm proud of all of us as a team. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, that back to that, that heart bar is, so I made so many of those things to not let down my team. And Craig donated that specimen to the AFA auction at convention. Yeah. And I didn't realize until I was like walking through and I was like, there's my shoe. Like, (laughs) and I bid the hell out of it. Like I was trying to buy it at the auction and that just got to the point. I was like, I can't afford it. How much do you remember how much it went for? I think it went around like 1200 or something. Wow. And I ran hard. I was like, I'm getting it. It's going to be mine. And it did not like, I didn't win the bid. And I didn't know who I was bidding against. And when they like walked it up to the high bidder, like he walked over to the table, couple tables over from me, and then walked over to me and handed it to me and said, Dusty wanted you to have that. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so Dusty Franklin cool. bought it and gave it to me. And it was like, man, like I kind of had to leave the room. And, and I've known Dusty, I've seen Dusty do that quite it's a few times. It's a cool times. thing that he does, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's Super kind nice of, a, guy. it's his thing and it's, yeah. It's really encouraging. It makes you want to. He knows like how much a uh, like a person invests into it. You know, like yeah. time and sweat in yeah. making those shoes and. Yeah. Well, and and like it's it's heartwarming. It makes you feel better about your fellow man and kind of inspires you to do those sorts of things yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You know. Do you? Uh, are you Jason? Are you still like in quite close contact with like the guys from when you were on the team? Yeah, not as not as much as I probably would like. I mm-hmm. mean, and that's my fault. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's I I can kind of from the outside looking in, kind of you know seeing what Craig's done and uh, you know Jim and Mark and you know they've every they've all been successful in their own right. I mean, yeah. and uh, I, I just feel very fortunate, you know, to have been around them. Um, Shane Carter's another one. Jim Poor, like I said. Um, but uh, just being able to see that they've been successful, I mean, and, and what they've done. But, uh, yeah, I've kind of been out of the loop for a little bit. Um, but uh, it, what, do you, what do you primarily, like, work on horse-wise, like, these days? Like, are you shooing, like, uh, western horses or hunters? Um, or? The majority of them are hunter-jumper dressage horses. Mm-hmm. So, um uh, and then you're just kind of focused here in like Western Oregon or? Yes. Just, I mean, I'm pretty fortunate right now that I've got a pretty small up, radius. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which I thought past, I'd heard like a while ago, somebody was telling me you were coming all the way up to like kind of where I live to shoot some yeah. horses up there in Monroe. Yes. And uh, that yeah. was pretty crazy. It's a long way to travel. Yeah, it's, it's not, yeah, I don't go there anymore. And they, yeah, it's, it wasn't my favorite. Um, yeah. But, uh um the travel just kind of get wear you down yeah, a little I mean, bit it's, as far you know as Seattle traffic oh, man. um so which is horrible yeah um so uh yeah but everything's pretty pretty tight right now which mm-hmm. i'm very fortunate uh, to have but uh yeah gives you a little breathing room you don't have to spend that yeah much. i don't windshield time yeah yeah that was yeah not my favorite oh, but, man. um yeah at one point i was going there i was still going to california so it's kind of uh to have things in one spot now is great. nice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very, very nice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right on. When you were like trying to prepare for making like the AFT the first first year, what were some things like that you done to go out of your way to like practice and like make that team for the first year? Yeah, I think really it was just trying to get with the other team members and just you know, be around them as much as I could, mm-hmm. um, and just figure out, you know, being first year on the team, you know, just figure out how the whole team dynamics gonna, how that works out. Sure. Um, did you already like know these guys prior to making the team with them, like Craig and I mean, I, I competed against them, but mm-hmm. I mean, um, just knew them in passing. I mean, definitely, um, as we were on the team together multiple times, obviously you develop a relationship, but right. Um, yeah, I, I, there again, through the local, uh, association, you know, had opportunities to practice, you know, the, the list of shoes, you know, that were on the, for the convention. 
So mm-hmm. um, a you, lot of it was just local, you know, practice stuff. Did you get to compete in Four Corners at all? Yes. I always heard that was a that was yeah a that was awesome always time. a big stop on the you know on the list and uh, um, that yeah. Four Corners one is that what you said? Yeah. yeah. Is that the like Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, New Mexico yeah. contest? Yeah, it, was, it was typically when I went it was at Durango. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was always, you know, brought in a lot of top people. Yeah, I heard that was yeah. a blast. Like, yeah. That was a cool contest um, back in the day. Yeah, it was always well well attended. But uh, Is that the one where they had the fun class, too, where you had to bring, bring like, a piece of scrap or... That's... I don't remember. Yeah. I remember yeah. one of those contests, somebody was talking about it, and you actually had to bring, like, a piece of just random that material. Kind of bell. And yeah. it was a draw out of the hat. Yeah, I thought you I remember like, hearing something you about get, that. You get numbers. You know, all oh, the material gets numbered, and it's just a draw out of the hat. And it's completely open creativeness, uh-huh. you know, to what you want to make. But, uh, I, yeah, I just remember the one contest, and it was uh, somebody really wasn't super excited about Bob Marshall's judging, and they made him a pair of glasses. Oh, like, yeah. just wire rim glasses. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't, I, I can't remember if that was the Four Corners, like, I, and that was a, that's obviously a secondhand story for me, uh-huh. but I just remember that, that was standing good. out. Yeah. But. Cool. It's just funny, because, like, the times that I got to work with Bob a little bit when I was younger, like, that was the first hands-on clinic I did was with Bob, and he would, like, do a demo, and he's wearing his reading glasses, and they'd, like, sneak down his nose and end up on the end of his nose, and he'd look over the top of his glasses at you and say, look at what I've done. <laughs> so the glasses that kind of hits oh, man. what Mom. kind of uh advice like would you have for somebody you know that's trying to like come up the run and try to make it for their first time like trying to get take advantage of all the opportunities that are out there because there's a lot of them mm-hmm. and, and yeah i mean every there's a lot of opportunities to learn to compete I mean, it's it's you know podcasts. I yeah. Mean, just there's all these different platforms, and just take advantage. Just immerse yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, in in the in the farrier world. You know, and uh, it, it's just I will say it, it it there's just so many much more opportunities. Yeah. You know nowadays. Easier. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, just uh, you know, at your disposal. You know, there's really not any excuse. No. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways people can contact each other and like, you know, basically ask for help if you need it. And, well, yeah. not even just that, but like just the resources available. Yeah, the I mean, resources yeah. is yeah. amazing right now. Yeah. Well, and just I, getting better, I think. Like, I remember that to... there was some shoe on the list. I don't know if it was Calgary list or whatever. And I remember, you know, faxing the picture. You know, back yeah. and forth. I mean, right on. So that's. I, I always kind of wondered if that was a thing. Like, yeah. if you guys ever had to like fax back and forth? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was it was a thing. But you know, that's just. Did you compete up in Calgary? Yes. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, I think five times, something like that. Nice. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's one of those things. So talking about Four Corners and talking about Calgary, because those things still existed when I started. And I always had the attitude of, is like, no, I'm not ready for that. Or with Four Corners, no, it's far. Yeah. And it's a traditional contest where you bring your stuff, right? right? And I didn't really know anybody to be like, hey, can I use a rig or something mm-hmm. like that? But I think about it and knowing the, the, knowing the community, the competitive community now like I do, mm-hmm. I could have competed at Four Corners just by calling Absolutely. a random person. Somebody would have brought me a station. I could have flown out and done it. Right. No doubt. Yeah. Calgary was completely accessible to me, even though I thought I wasn't on that level. Right. And there, those are regrets that I have because I got to, I had to miss out on those things because I got in my own head and said, Hey, you know, you're not ready or you're, you know, you're not worthy or whatever. Yeah. And I really like, I wish I had done those things. And I think that's like, if I were to give advice, it's that don't ever think you're not ready. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Jump, jump, in. jump on yeah. in. Take the yeah. swing. Yeah. 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 Make your way out there and yeah. just do it. No matter, like, if you come in last, that's fine. Like, it's that whole thing of what do you call the guy who, you know, finished last in his medical class? 
call him doctor. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's the same thing with this. Like, somebody's going to come in last, and no matter what, you were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You tried. Yeah. Yep. And you beat beat me. I didn't go. That's right. true. I know there's always been times where, like, I've been afraid to, you know, go to a contest or something because, like, in fear that, oh, somebody's going to see me suck and then they're going to think I suck. Right. You know, and, like, I don't want somebody <laughs> to think that. Dude, you know, that's about a hard me. thing to overcome. Yeah. yeah. You, when you get that yeah, in your head and you, everybody has it in their head, but man, that is a hard hurdle to get over. Yeah. Not yeah. being afraid to fail, right. I think, is. Yeah. So, hard. Yeah, it's definitely something I've, uh, I've had to get over myself, you know. Well, I've still got yeah. scars on my knees from crashing my bike when I was a little kid, <laughs> you know? And it's like, if I was fearless then and unafraid of failure because the experience was worth the risk, mm-hmm. then what happened to me in those intervening years where it was like, all of a sudden, I'm like, uh, better not, I might <laughs> yeah. scrape my knees. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's it. It's like, even if you suck, you get something out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the first contest I went to, I went to Madison in 2011. That was my first individual WCB. Mm-hmm. Gene Leeser was judging, and I walked up to Gene. I kind of knew Gene. We it's not like we were real good, good friends, but he knew who I was. I knew who he was. Yeah. Right? And I asked him what he was looking for on the table, and he just picked up a shoe, seemingly at random, but it was my shoe. And he said, oh, "I just want to see if they fit the foot." I did. Okay. And he kind of took the shoe and he gestured with it like twisted it and i was like what do you what do you i don't understand what you mean and he was like well put that on a foot and handed it to me and i went and stared at it for a minute i was like buddy there's no foot here i don't know if you've had a, a look around but it ain't live shoeing day buddy yeah and he was like no bend over like you're shoeing a horse and put it on a foot and i bent down and and put it on a foot and i was like holy shit the medial branch doesn't even cover and he was like yeah that's why that's in that place hmm. is because it misses the medial heel. And that has stuck with me throughout my career. And it's like, anytime I get lost in the weeds and I'm like, is this shoe right? I drop a pritchel in a nail hole and put it in, in my lap. Like I'm hot fitting it. Oh, and then look at it that way. Yeah. I see. We don't look at shoes up. Like we pick them up and we hold them up to the sky and stare at them. Mm-hmm. And who yeah, looks at a foot hard. like that? No. If you're looking at a foot like that, you had a bad day, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, yeah, like, and that was one of those things. At that point, I decided I was going to start jumping in deep water. What and do you mean, deep water? Is this you going down the AW path? Yeah, or? I'd started down the AW path. Right. I was just going to ask, like, did you have that anxiety about, like, coming into that? So, I was... I was blissfully unaware of how unqualified I was to take the associate exam when I took it the first time because I took it twice. I made it all the way to journeyman without failing an AFA exam, like any Mm -hmm. portion. I showed up. I took all three parts. I passed all three parts. I went home. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's what I do. I take horseshoeing exams and pass them. (laughs) And I went to England and I worked with with Andy Reeder-Smith and Andy taught me so much about me as a horseshoer. Not just about horseshoeing, but about how I was a horseshoer. And, like, it was life-changing. And I went and sat the exam at the end of that trip. Like, Andy took me to the train station. I took 20 different train exchanges and ended up in Melton Mowbray. And, like, these nice people off the train gave me a ride to my, my hotel. And then I walked from the hotel up to the army barracks and worked carrying, you know, 80 pounds of tools because you had to take everything you owned, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I sat that exam and knew nothing. But when I started down the path, I had called Craig because I, I knew Craig enough to call him. Mm-hmm. I called Craig and was like, what do I do to get better? And he was like, mm-hmm. you come compete. He was like, I don't think the theory is going to be a problem for you. I don't think the written is going to be hard. But I think that you're going to struggle with the practical. And if you want to get good at the practical, compete because you're under pressure. And he was right. And I did, like, I failed both portions while I was there. I failed the, the theory because I didn't understand what their theory exam was. Mm-hmm. I think I had the knowledge. I know I had the knowledge. 
I didn't have the means to communicate the knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. I didn't like I didn't understand how to take a test. Mm-hmm. The practical I didn't understand there's a difference between English 381 and American 381. <laughs> so my ruler lied to me. Like, I just looked at my ruler and I was like, I know what it's talking about. And then I went and cut that and made it. And I was like, holy God, what are you doing? <laughs> I think I impressed some of those army guys because, like, I made a bar sheet that came way too big. And they watched me chop the weld out of it and shrink it by a half inch. And they were like, holy shit, look at this guy. <laughs> and I was like, don't think that's inspirational (laughs) cowboy from america exactly i was like no i'm just gonna chop stuff up and see how it comes out yeah how long ago did you take the uh the aw test i sat it the first time in 2011 and then i came home and regrouped and sat it again in 2012 but i did it in missouri i did it heartland so you were starting to take the aw before you started like competing then no that it all happened at the same time Okay. So my first contest was in April of 2011. Yes. And I sat the exam in the fall. Okay. So I had this, I had a couple contests, two or three contests to get ready for that exam. Mm-hmm. And then thought, yeah, I got this. Well, that's what I was kind of wondering about when you said Craig said just come compete. Yeah. That's what I was wondering, like, if you already had plans to go to the WCBs or... I wanted to. Like, it was aspirational. Mm-hmm. But again, I did have that thing of, I don't deserve to be there. Yeah. I shouldn't yeah. be there. And it was the old system. So early on, to decide what category you were, it wasn't like, okay, you're new to the WCB. Start at novice. Go one, two, three. For me, hey, puppy. For me, it was if you had competed open at a local contest but hadn't won open, then you were a cat three. Yeah. yeah. So I jumped right into cat three. I skipped novice one and two. And I, I regret that. I should have worked the system better mm-hmm. and gotten involved. That would have helped me more. And I think it wouldn't have slowed me down as much in my progress. Instead of jumping straight into the open, essentially, in the WCB. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is Cat 3 is the hardest to do well in. Not the hardest to do well in, but it's a small group. Yeah. Like Cat 3 historically is the smallest category as far as number of competitors. Mm-hmm. There were times where we placed through fourth in Cat 3 at a contest. Because there were only four Cat 3 competitors. You didn't place through six. Yeah. And, like, because of that, like, I think Robbie Medeiros was still in Cat 3 when I started. Bill Kiner was in there, and he was tough. Like, there were a bunch of tough guys in Cat 3 that were really dedicated and really going hard. And it was hard for me to feel like I was making headway. Yeah. And I wish I would have done it a little bit differently. But I kept at it because I didn't want to quit. But the AW, like getting ready for the associate exam, is what pushed me to go ahead and jump in the pond. Mm -hmm. And like I kind of had to say damn the torpedoes. Because I wanted to do the AW from the first time that I found out that was an exam. Yeah. Just because it was a step beyond. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to step beyond what we offered. And here like, in the United States. Yeah, here in the U.S. Because yeah. that's something, like, it might be a little controversial, but I I feel like we have a poor educational structure in the U.S. It's possible to become exemplary in the U.S. as a farrier, but it's a hard path. It's not laid out for us like it is in the U.K. Over there, it's a little more laid out and a lot better structured so that the opportunity for them isn't as overwhelming as the opportunity for us. So for us to get to, to a higher level and do things to a very high standard, you have to be willing to work. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to spend a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of travel in order to get the experiences to be better. Do you think that, do you think the money part is what probably keeps people from us in the United States from going and trying to take that test? Or do you think it's because it's difficult? Both. I think it's low column A, low column B. Yeah. But more people are taking it. Like, but when I took it, I think there were, there were like four or five fellows in the U.S., Americans who had Mm -hmm. achieved the fellowship. That's the FWCF. Yeah, FWCF. So if you count them, I would have been the 15th American to get the AWCF. Okay. Right? 
because there were 10 guys who had the AW when I got it. When okay. I passed it. And when I passed it, there were three of us that passed. Mm-hmm. Six of us sat the exam and three of us passed. Who were the other three? Uh, Jeremiah Harris down in uh, Arizona, Arizona. right? And uh, Travis Burns. Oh, okay. That was kind of the beginning of me and Travis being really good friends. And he doesn't live too far away from you, doesn't he? Uh, he's, I mean, it's like five hours or something. He's, uh, but he's yeah. just in the next state. Yeah. You know, I don't see him as much as I'd like, but I see him a lot. Now, the FW, that's above the... <coughs> Just the next yes, step. Yes, that's the next step. And there's a couple steps beyond that now. It used to be that the FWCF was like the top, top of the pile. But now they've they've gone a little more academic. I think they were two steps beyond. Oh, really? I didn't um, know that. Yeah, basically you get, like you can get a doctorate. Oh, shit. And be a horseshoe. Yeah, I think. Is that what they're offering through the Royal Veterinary College? That's a little different. That different. I'm not sure what that is. Like, Cause I'm ignorant Pat on Riley that. Yeah, Pat through, Riley's program. through that. Yeah. Right on. Um, but, like, in the fellow, that's that's my next goal, is to work on my fellowship. Have you started working on it yet, or? Um, I'm conceptualizing the study right now. So you have to do a research project as part of it. Okay. And I've got to, like, actually, i got some really good ideas this weekend that I'm not going to talk about on this. <laughs> um, but I've got some good ideas, and I need to start doing the, the literature review for it and looking at the research that will support what I want to do. How long did it take you to pass, like, the AW portion? Like, how long did you work so, on it? Um, because I didn't pass it the first time. Yeah. It was about a year and a half. So what I tell people is at that time, if I did the like, if I did all the accounting for it, I had a year and a half of my life and about twenty five grand invested, invested in preparing for it. Jeez, including testing yeah. fees and doing the equivalence fee, like to get the diploma, because mm-hmm. you have to have the journeyman plus two years in order to get the diploma equivalence. See, it's something I don't I don't necessarily know a ton about how to get like your AW or whatever. What's involved or what it entails to oh what the exam that. is yeah so the exams um like it's kind of broken into two parts but technically it's three okay because there's a practical and a theory mm-hmm. but part of the practical is modern materials and you can get a partial pass on modern materials and i had that like i actually passed the modern in the uk okay and that's where you have to perform a veterinary procedure like a where you would assist a veterinarian and a farrier procedure, both, on a cadaver limb using modern materials. Okay. So using, like, um, Equilox, methyl methyl acrylate. Mm-hmm. Um, or Superfast, or anything. Like, whatever you were using. And the veterinary procedure is usually some sort of a... You're cutting into sensitive tissue. Oh, shit. So, like, I had to seek out a chip on P3. And I had a 5.8 hole. I could make a 5-8 round hole to find a chip on P3. And it was a, like, it wasn't an actual chip. It was a, a hypothetical chip. Okay. They, but they told me where they wanted me to find on that coffin bone. I had to find that spot, dig to it, and tell them, yeah, I'm here. And this is something that you would do, like, out in the field, essentially? Or not alone. Like- so that's the thing. These are things that are not alone. Yeah. That's when you become a veterinarian's tool. Like, we have a pair of nippers, and that's our tool. There mm-hmm. are times that farriers need to be veterinarians' tools. Uh-huh. We're the hands that do the work because we know how to do it. Right. We're more familiar with the tools. So even though they know, hey, I want to notch out the hoof wall in order to remove a keratoma, mm-hmm. they don't know how to use those tools as well as we do. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying now. Yeah. So we use the tools, and they tell us where to be, but we have to have the anatomical knowledge to know when to stop. Like, if you're cutting out a keratoma, you're just going until you hit sensitive lamina. You're not, like, you want to get to the stratum internum and quit. Mm-hmm. You don't want to go until it goes, because you just hit the coffin bone. Yeah. <laughs> right? You're going to make things worse. Right. That was my awesome impersonation of a Dremel going bad. <laughs> well done. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you have the modern materials. I passed that over there. The theory portion at that time was six questions. You got to throw one out. You only had to answer five, but you have a complete written, written answer. 
So it, and it's funny because people will be like, so it was like essay? And it's like, that's too simple. Like sometimes it was an outline. Sometimes you had to do diagrams. Like some of the questions you have to diagram it and give an explanation. Mm-hmm. Some of it you give a bullet point list. Like you have to read the question in order to find out how to answer the question. And then do you decide those or do they decide it, the testers? As what? far as like, you said the essay is too easy. Do you have to make all of them different or do they decide No, the, the question itself tells you how it's being, yeah, how okay. you answer. Oh, okay. So it, it might say, like I had one of the questions was using diagrams, describe all the coffin bone fractures. They might have said pedal bone. They might have said P3. I can't remember what the, the language was, but it was described the different types of coffin bone fractures. Hmm. And so I drew all those coffin bone fractures. And then it said, describe how you personally have dealt with one of those types of fracture. So then it's telling a story and it has to be like a timeline type chronology of how it presented, how the, the shoeing plan was like developed Ex- between you and the veterinarian, how you executed the shoeing plan, what the follow-up was, what the conclusion was. Mm-hmm. So you tell this whole long story. Do you, are you under a time limit in the theory yeah, portion? It's, it's yeah. two and a half minutes or two and a half hours to answer five questions. So you've got a half hour per question, but you figure it out that you have about 25 minutes per question to write. So like I had a timer going, there was a clock on the wall. I kept track of the time and at 25 minutes, I better be wrapping that question up. And so I did them in order of like, I knew that I could answer this question quick. Mm Mm-hmm. And so then I'd get it done in 15 minutes. I I just banked 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So then I'd answer this question. It's like, oh, this one's going to take me 20. Well, I banked five more minutes. So now I've got 15 extra minutes for that one that I really know so that I can knock it out of the park. So technically, like, they're not saying you have 30 minutes per question. No, you're, no. You're just setting up a system for yeah. yourself in order to be prepared. Yeah, because yeah, I, I think that there's a system for everything, whether it's written theory or whether it's I mean, they're, like, there's a system for this podcast, right? Mm-hmm. You're not just flying off by the seat of your pants. There's a way that you're running this. You set that system up in your head. Try to. Yeah. <laughs> because otherwise it's not cohesive and you're going to spend hours editing. Yeah. Right? You don't want to do that. It's easier if we can one-take it. Oh, yeah. Same thing with anything with us, right? Like, and that's even everyday work. When you work, you set it up so that you do one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. Right? And hopefully you don't screw up. And I'm going to do my it. knife work. I'm going to do my nipple work. I'm going to do my rasp work. I'm not going to have to go back to my knife work because I did it right. right? Mm-hmm. You know? I'm going to make my shoe or, or shape my shoe. I'm going to burn my shoe. And I'm not going to have to go back to it because I did it right. Because I have a system. Yeah. And I think that's important in everything. Every shoe I've got a system for. I mean, that's pretty much how I revolve everything in my life, you know, as far mm-hmm. as whether... Starting my day, getting ready for the day. Yeah. You know, I've got a system for every day. And you know, we all do, do it. We call it a routine, but it's not It's not just a routine. It's a system that helps you succeed at whatever you're doing. Mm-hmm. So that, that was my system for that written. The practical at that time, and there was there's other portion that we'll get to in a sec. The, the practical was you watch horse trot for soundness, and then they assigned you a task. Okay. And you had no idea what that task could be. The list of shoes that they had that they could give you was encyclopedic. Like I had measurements for a caulking feather because that was on the list still. It's not on the list anymore. Oh. The AW exam has changed a little bit. It's less all-encompassing. It's a little more therapeutic than it was. Okay. Right? But Which is fine. Um, so that portion... It's a two and a half hour limit. You got two feet mm-hmm. and it's whatever they ask for. And I had in England, I did, I had to do an equilibrium bar shoe on the front with, um, I can't remember how they described it, but basically they left it open, whether you could quarter clip it or side clip it. So does that so make a two big clips? Oh, so they just said two clips and they didn't, ne- you didn't necessarily know if it needed to be side yeah. clipped or quarter clipped. Yeah. And you don't really get to talk to your examiners and figure out what they mean. Oh, it's a lot more 
hands off and like you you're on your side, I'm on my side. Uh-huh. Because it's an examination. They're looking at you as a farrier and saying, are you at a standard? And it, like, it's kind of cool. So did you get like penalized for what clips you ended up doing? So I did quarter clips. So I put my clip between one and two. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alan Ferry was the head examiner for that. And years later, I did a clinic with his brother, Jim, and made an equilibrium bar shoe for a horse that came in. Like, it fell on me to make it. And I asked him where he wanted the clips, and he was like at the qu- like quarter clips between one and two, and I was like, I bet I did that right. <laughs> I bet Alan liked that too. <laughs> but uh, I had to do that in a spavin shoe behind. Okay. And that's trippy. Why? I had nailed on a spavin before that. Yeah. I'd made them, so I had a system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'd never nailed one on. And to nail on a spavin shoe the first time under pressure of people, and I came huge because I was using 381 that I didn't know how to use. I don't and remember. Is there 38 by one smaller than bigger, ours or bigger than ours? It's stronger than ours. Okay. So that's... our half-inch section is nicer than theirs. Their 38 section is nicer than ours. Okay, that's the way, yeah. Right. Um, but anyway, that was that. And you also had to do a live horse evaluation and a radiographic evaluation. So there's a standing live horse where... <laughs> You're just going over it, talking about blemishes and unsoundnesses and just gross anatomy of a horse. There was a trot up where you had to identify a lameness, talk about why it was lame. They would give you a scenario so that you're like, you know, we want this horse to be a broodmare in order to produce a three-day eventer. Would she be a good option for that? And so you have to look at the horse and know, like, be able to tell what the age of the horse is be able to like you they don't really give you signalment other than it's a mare used for this purpose you don't know what the age wow. of the mare is you don't know what her history is anything like that and you can ask questions yeah let's say can you ask yeah you can, can ask questions yeah. and you may get a, an answer that helps you may not like they they help you as much as they can because they actually like you realize i realize now they want you to succeed it's it, that part's no different than the AFA. Like, as an examiner, I want candidates to succeed. I want them to succeed because they should, yeah. not because they showed up. Right? You got to actually work for it. Yeah, if you work for it, and you it. deserve it. I want you to get it. Yeah, I don't want to have, be a barrier of entry. So you have to do that, um, and then you spend time with a veterinarian because there's three examiners. There's a head examiner, a farrier examiner, and a veterinary examiner. Mm-hmm. And the veterinary examiner, like, has a horse in front of you that you're talking about that, evaluating it for a lameness, evaluating the job that's on it, knowing why the job that's on it is on it. Um, You're looking at radiology that may or may not be related to that horse. You have to be able to identify radiographic landmarks, be able to look at it and know how radiology works. So how would that work, like, when you say that it may or may not be related to that horse, like... So if a horse is standing there that's wearing a navicular type package, maybe it's wearing something that's wedged up in a bar shoe or... So are they trying to get you to... They just the... want to see what you know. Yeah. So there's no trick to it. There's no anything. It's just they want to find out what you know. Okay. So the last thing you do, and throughout all this, you have a shoe display that you made ahead of time to bring with you. And it can be handmade. It can be machine made. It can be how many modified. Shoe, how many shoes are on that board? I want to say Seven. But I might be wrong. It might be more than that. Do you, do you know, Kurt? Offhand, I don't remember. There's six mandatory. Yeah. And then I think, I almost think you got to have ten now. Yeah. No. It, I don't know. I had a pile of them. Man, I don't remember now. And, like, I got some freeze-dried feet from Allie, and yeah. I fit shoes to those freeze-dried feet and put magnets in the feet so that the shoes would stick to them and show how I wanted to fit them. Uh-huh. Like, I, you kind of walk the dog with that because it's homework. And you want to show them what you are, but that's not what passes or fails you. That's just like giving them a business card. Hmm. I think you're right. I think hmm. there's there's six, but there's those ma- mandatories. Yeah. You got to have like a heart bar. Um, yeah. A raised raised angle shoe. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, fish downs necessarily. Yeah. 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 And then you, you get a, in the syllabus, you get to choose, but there are right at the top of the syllabus, it does say like, 
the fishtail, patent bar. Oh, okay. Like those those are mandatory shoes that have to be yeah. on um, on the list. Right. Mm. So so those shoes like they come into question when you have your oral exam. So you sit in a room like we're in an office. I sat in an office across the table from these three other people and they're basically keeping you there until they stump you. And I thought that that meant you needed to know everything and no, they're just seeing what your weaknesses are. If you had a soft spot in your written exam or you had a soft spot in your prior oral exam with the live horse evaluation or it, whatever, if they see a weakness, that's when they exploit it and see how deep that weakness is. Oh, so they pry. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And so of the three of us that passed, I remember my oral exam and Travis's oral exam well because Travis went in really early on because B comes before P. So Burns went in way early. Mm -hmm. And they kept him for like an hour. They're supposed to keep you for 15 to 20 minutes. It took that long for them to give up on stumping him. Oh, dang. Every question they asked, he answered. Yeah. And just knowing Travis now, it's like he probably just real matter-of-factly answered. <laughs> you know? Cause so were you like sweating, sweating bullets at that point? Like, oh, God. No, that's the thing is I never really got nervous about that because that's talking to people, and I'm decent at talking to people. Oh, yeah. They kept me for five minutes. Why? I was wow. in there for five minutes, and they stumped me because I conflated capsular ligaments and annular ligaments uh-huh. and said that one was the other. And they were like, yeah, that's very good. And then they <laughs> talked to me about my shoe display. They were like, how did you trim those freeze-dry feet? Because we're trying to do a project with that, but we don't know how to trim those things. <laughs> and I was like, oh, angle grinder and a Dremel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it was kind of cool because I was in for five. He was in for close to an hour, and we both passed. Oh. Wow. Right? So they were seeing that weakness, and that was my biggest weakness. Okay. Was that I confused some anatomical structures. I'm just wondering, uh, as far as like, so you, you passed, but they stumped you and you got it wrong. Like, how is that? Because what that wasn't I... the end of it. Like, oh, okay. That was just for them to say, Hey, he did this on his theory. He did this on the horse. He did this with the, with his, uh, live horse evaluation. He did all these things. Mm-hmm. I don't think he understands this. Let's see if he does or not. Mm. And I answered the question. They asked me a question about annular ligaments and I answered it and said capsular ligaments and then they asked me another question I was like wait I need to go back and change my first answer because I was wrong about that so you realized it I realized yeah. it in the middle of it and the veterinarian was the person that I asked and I think it was James Sutton and he just kind of grinned and he looked at me and said now you're right okay. like he was, and they were very kind like I had Sandy Beveridge uh, Gary Hood and James Sutton when I passed and they were amazing like those guys just really helpful. Like my live horse evaluation, the horse had a bog spatting mm-hmm. and I was talking about how unfit the horse was to do the job that they wanted it to do because I didn't like its hocks. And I couldn't tell her, tell him why I didn't like its hocks. And I stuck my thumb in that bog up to the first knuckle and was like, yeah, just there's something about these hocks. And then we walked off cause I, I got done quick. And I'm like walking to my next station waiting and Sandy had to, he had to go to the restroom and he's walking by me. And as he's walking near me, I said, bog spab. And that's the word you were looking for, right? And he goes, you stuck your fucking thumb in it, lad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, I did. I did. But it, I think that actually benefited me, right? Because I still got the answer right. It just yeah. wasn't officially during that time. Because they're not looking at you. It's not like, here's the hard, fast time limit. It's... They're looking at you from the time you get there until the time you leave. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's like, I was really impressed by it, and I'm really supportive of it. I think it's a great program. I encourage anybody to do it. Again, no barrier of entry. Come on. Kurt, you said you're going to be trying to get it, right? I've worked out yes. a bit. It's <laughs> tough. I. It's mostly I've been dipping my yes. toes in the pool. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it is definitely a goal of... That I would like to work towards. Yeah. Something to work towards, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another, you know, depending on what you're aiming at, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's something to keep you moving forward. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to, to do it, so. 
Don't think like that. <laughs> so it's not about being smart. It's about right. being able to learn. Yeah. Right? Well, maybe, yeah. Like, you ever talk to people about IQ? Like, people hear IQ and think that means it's how smart you are. It's not. It's a measure of how well you can learn. Hmm. You don't have to have an IQ in order, a high IQ in order to be able to learn. Mm-hmm. It just makes it easier. Easier to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Like, one of the things that I don't like is when farriers say, yeah, I'm not good at the book work. That's usually me. Yeah, don't say book work. <laughs> it's theory. You don't have to use a book for it. We got horses around us all the time. Go over that horse and feel all those structures and know what they are. You know, if a horse dies and you got a cool client, be like, hey, can I cut its legs off? Mm-hmm. Take them home and chop them up with a steak knife. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, if you got a picnic table and a and a pocket knife, you can do a dissection at home. Mm-hmm. It's true, I guess. You just need to have a, a client who's cool with you doing that or someone who's cool with you doing that. If you have a way to get a dead leg at home... Buy yourself the section with an open textbook. Teaches you reams. Yeah, yeah a like, lot more than I'd ever get by just staring in the book and. Yeah, the book like just <laughs> when looking you can at put a your book, hands on it. Yeah, it makes yeah. a huge difference. So don't don't discount yourself and be like I'm too dumb for that. That's that's bullshit. You know what? So Russ Hyde is a really good friend of mine, and I don't think he'd mind me telling this to the world. Russ sat as a certified farrier forever. He was CF, and he never went beyond that. And I'd push him every now and then, kind of like I'd just push Kurt, and be like, when are we going to do that journeyman? When are we going to do that journeyman? His practical skill was there. Russ is dyslexic. He struggles to read. He doesn't struggle to comprehend. He struggles to read. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him on the phone one morning, driving to work, and said, so are we going to do that journeyman? And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, all right, so here's the thing is if you want to do the journeyman, I'll come up with a strategy to help you study. You don't have to answer me right now. As a matter of fact, don't. I'll talk to you tomorrow and you'll tell me whether you want to do it or whether you're going to keep being wishy-washy. Like I was kind of, it's kind of a dick. <laughs> and I hung up the phone. Like I didn't even say bye. I just hung up the phone. You didn't say yeah, kisses. Yeah, I didn't say kisses. You didn't say kisses. <laughs> Normally I say kisses Man. when I get off the phone. I right. say kisses. And uh, yeah, the next morning he called me. He was like, "I want to be a journeyman." And so we figured out a non-reading way for him to study. So he would trace pictures. He would draw pictures. He would then freehand draw them without the textbook open and label them. Mm-hmm. When he sat down for that test. He spent like five or ten minutes drawing pictures on scrap paper. So he turned it into an open book exam. Right on. That's the way I was able to learn and actually memorize for the journeyman test was I had to draw everything and do it that way. <laughs> Bingo. But I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've never enjoyed the theory exam of anything. Yeah. That's... Like I like to read sometimes, but I hated it. Yeah. Like, I hate doing theory. Like, no, I don't want to go out and make horsey shoes and... Yeah, beat steel. Beat mm-hmm. steel and and smell bad when I burn shoes on and, yeah. like, you know, have cruddy hands. But the other side of it's important, too. If we want to be taken seriously, we need to know those things, yeah. do you think? Yeah. the I mean, the vocabulary that you learn yeah. alone is important. And is important. Well, I think... Uh, we got some lunch coming in for us. Good lunch. Sweet. Nice. I'm getting hungry myself and figured we have you guys here in the room and do a podcast and get to know uh, Jason a little bit more since. Well, thank you. It was yeah. really good for me. I appreciate you coming in. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming in. Yeah. And helping us out with the benefit clinic. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. We are like the reason we're all here is because Sarah Baker had a bad go and she's a a really good person and she's working really hard like that's somebody who's starting out their career i think it's really important that she gets back on her feet it been made my day yesterday when she came in here how on, how long feet. has she been like shooing up to this point i don't know i don't either Unfortunately. not a terribly long time i know that she's 24 25 something like that that's a bummer that yeah it like, had to happen you know to her and i'm i hope she full recovers because mm-hmm. from the time that i heard about her injury to now She's already recovered a massive amount. Yeah, that's great. And I'm I'm just tickled to death because love her to death. She's great. 
she's she's been competing with us. Like she's been competing Cat One. Mm-hmm. I think Cat One. I know that she competed in novice, but you know she's working the system. Yeah. And I hope she can keep working the system. I hope that what we're doing here helps. Yeah, it seems like sure. uh, yeah. yeah, you know, pretty good turnout this weekend as far as people coming in and yeah, you know, yeah. donating for the auction and everything like Absolutely. that. Yeah, it sounds like the online auction. Oh, we'll find out here in a minute. It closed yeah. while we were in here. Yeah. Oh, did it? We'll yeah. find out how the online auction finished up. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I didn't screw you guys on items if you're trying to buy them. <laughs> we'll find out in a minute. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we we ran the bid up on a few things. So. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> well, Ooh, we thank it's you a little guys. Insider yeah, trading. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, thanks everybody for listening to another episode of Forge and Braids podcast. Kisses. Yeah.